Welcome to this edition of The Driving Podcast. I'm your host, Lorraine Sommerfeld. Today, we're pulling back the curtain on what happens at the back of the house, the part of a car dealership where you can't cross the line, the service bays and techs and advisors that make that part tick along. I'm joined by Chris Muir, consultant and professor at Centennial College School of Transportation, the biggest facility of its kind in Canada. Welcome back to The Driving Podcast, Chris. Thanks, Lorraine. Happy to be here. First, I just want to establish for listeners how much you get around. Um, I've known you for years now, and you haven't always been a teacher and a consultant, but you have and continue to swing a wrench. So you've been in the field for many years, correct? Yeah, absolutely. So I I started my career with uh, General Motors way back in the early 2000s. I switched over to Nissan uh, at a dealership. I did a, a stint at an independent. Uh, I've even, you know, slipped in and out of Dodge dealerships and uh, – uh, there's a Freightliner dealership in my past. So I've, I've been in and out of service departments uh, for all of my career, which has spanned, oh gosh, too many years to count now. <laughs> okay. This podcast is for consumers. I want to give people as much information as possible so they feel comfortable taking care of their very expensive purchase, their vehicle, and those prices are going up. First, is there different rates depending on the work? When we hear shop rate, is that applied to everything? How are techs paid at a dealership? So there's there's a few different rates that go on at a dealership, especially if they segregate uh, what the customer pays into kind of regular wage and then high tech. Sometimes you'll see an additional charge per hour for things like air conditioning and so on and so forth. So what the consumer gets to see is something that they call door rate which is what the consumer pays the dealer in order to have their car serviced. And it's usually, uh, the rates are usually based on a book time. Now you would think that you pay your mechanic $200 an hour because that's what door rate is. Most of the time, that is, well, all of the time, that is very, very wrong. The mechanic's going to get somewhere between $25 and $40 of that door rate per hour uh, earned. So the mechanics in dealerships generally don't get paid by the hour. Instead, they are paid by the job based on what the job pays in an an overarching book. Now, sometimes when you bring your car in for warranty, well, you're not paying that bill. Instead, the manufacturer pays the bill. Sometimes they pay door rate. Sometimes they pay more than door rate. How the technician is affected is the manufacturer has decided that The allotted time that a consumer would pay is not what the job actually takes. And most of the time, they take 40% of book time away from the technician while they do that job. So if you're having warranty work done, that's when the manufacturer is paying. They have a preset amount for that specific, let's say, recall or warranty job. And so what we pay when we come in and they go, here's your bill, here's the rate, some work is not done that way if it's being paid for by the manufacturer, correct? So the manufacturer is going to have what they call labor op codes, and they're they're based on what the technician has actually done. So diagnostics uh, for a consumer can just be, hey, we need a couple hours to diagnose this. You pay two hours of labor, and, you know, sometimes it's justified. Sometimes it's not on a, on a paper RO. With the manufacturer, if you say, I need two hours of straight time, they're asking for circuit numbers, circuit color, pin numbers, uh, connector numbers. Why did that bolt take extra time to get out? Every bro- broken bolt has a, uh, a labor op code. Um, so you get paid an extra 0.2 or 0.3 of an hour to get a broken bolt out. 
Um, but generally, the operation that is, is displayed, so say a customer pays five hours to replace a transmission, the manufacturer might only pay four, four and a half hours to replace that same component. Okay, so there's a lot of shifting going on in the pricing sometimes there is definitely shocking and jiving going on for sure yeah <laughs> okay i i want to ask something that i get asked a lot and i have this question myself we tell people to read your owner's manual and i tell everyone take put it in the bathroom when you get a new car put it in the bathroom the only place you're going to read it the only place everyone in the house is going to read it so my owner's manual has a schedule in there and i know canada is constri- considered an extreme climate so you take that into account, but there is a schedule of when work should be done based on your owner's manual. So you think, okay, I got all this figured out. Then you go in there and you look up behind the service desk and there's this totally different, usually unrelated service schedule that they make you feel like if you don't follow their service schedule, you will be voiding your warranty. And voiding your warranty is always in big, heavy capital letters because that's everyone's biggest fear. So how come the manufacturer's suggested scheduling doesn't look anything at all like what the dealer is suggesting in many cases. Well, there's, there's two, two trains of thought to this. And the first one is, is sometimes dealerships like to um, sell unnecessary services or services prematurely. And they just call that kind of their dealer um, service schedule, right? What you should be following is exactly what is in the service manual except for some climate-related services. So I am a big big proponent of uh, brake services in this climate, right? Every six months, every year, you get your brakes all taken apart, everything cleaned back up and reassembled. Some manufacturers don't recommend that service, but because of the road dirt and debris and everything else, we can increase the lifespan of your brakes by doing a service like that. Other services, manufacturers absolutely recommend against. So back when I was a a technician inside the dealers, we'd have aftermarket companies come in and go, oh, you need an injector flush. You need a wallet flush. You need a coolant flush at, you know, mileages uh, before the manufacturer recommends them. And those services uh, are a wallet flush is exactly what they are. Uh, sometimes they can actually do damage to components inside the vehicle. Um, in the case of Nissan, they they told us, do not do injector flushes. And I would have arguments with uh, my dealer principal that, hey, we can't be doing this. Nissan finds out and we are going to be in big trouble. So it's okay to ask if, like, can I take my manual in and show them what I'm reading and say, how come this doesn't match up? Because we have, there's always a um, an advisor who's kind of yep. like, you know, halfway between you and what's actually happening with your car. And usually those people are very highly skilled in soft skills. They're good at explaining things to people who feel maybe uncomfortable in this surrounding. Can I take in my book and go, can you make sense to me? Like, you know, I've heard that doing a brake maintenance, not replacing brakes. Dealers love to replace brakes. My daughter-in-law tried to get scammed about this and I was really angry. She didn't need brakes. But a brake service is definitely a thing, like you said. Um, that it's good to do to extend the length of your breaks. But can I bring my book in and show them what I'm reading? And Absolutely. Can have a powwow? Okay. Yeah, no, sure if, if the dealer can't significantly uh, explain why their service schedule differs from the book, what advantage it actually has to you, uh, and it shouldn't sound like snake oil, you know what? Pass on the service for the time being. Talk to somebody that you trust. Um, talk to your independent that, you know, you, you've kind of, 
uh, well, you've got your new car put on the back burner for a little bit, they are more than happy to still talk to you about your new car and how best to take care of it inside of your warranty period. But you should be able to bring in uh, literature from the manufacturer and have an open and honest discussion with either the service advisor or whatever other service staff becomes involved. Absolutely. Okay. I spoke earlier about voiding warranties being everyone's biggest um, concern. I tell most people when you buy a new car, it's good to develop a relationship with that dealer, especially if you're happy with your purchase and everything went fine. Dealers really do need word of mouth and successive sales to the same people. It's a lot easier for them to stay in business that way. And so I tell people within that, um, especially within the warranty period, fine. If you feel better going there, like that's great. I have local techs I've had for 25 years. They do my oil changes. That does not ward my void my warranty. I have, they use all the proper parts. I've got all the documentation. So I can get an oil change done somewhere else that is reputable, correct? Absolutely, Ken, yeah. The big thing is keeping track of that documentation. Um, we have seen at the dealership, people come back that have never had an oil change. They go, oh, I'm gonna go to my, my independent mechanic. I'll get all my paper copies. They come back with hand scribbled notes on, um, that, that loose leaf invoice paper that you can get from uh, Staples and all of the the work order numbers are sequential, right? <laughs> that we can see through that <laughs> real fast. No. Oh, absolutely we have. Yep. Okay, uh, this is your regular schedule reminder that um, consumers can be idiots as well and that we're not just um, dumping on dealers and tax and everybody else in the oh, industry. Oh, no. Okay, sequentially numbered orders. I like that. I've never seen anyone try that one yet. Oh, I've seen it a couple times. Uh, (laughs) Once was it, oh gosh, years ago at 401 Nissan, and then we did it again at Agent Corp Nissan with a a customer with um, an engine. And yeah, customers can be be wonderful. Customers can be unfortunately taken advantage of. But sometimes customers come into the dealer and they try and take us for a ride as well. Sometimes they get away with it. A lot of the time, you know, we've seen this trick before. So, uh, and the manufacturer wants to see that documentation. It's not just a, a service advisor. It's not just a service manager or tech. We send that into the manufacturer and they have their people look over it. And if it looks at all fishy, the manufacturer will just tell you no. Yeah, they find they're out. Um, mm-hmm. I want to talk a little bit about recalls because there's so many in the headlines these days. And I've written extensively about the fact that recalls are a good thing. It's a manufacturer getting ahead of a problem. I'm saying that because sometimes they're forced to, but mm-hmm. um, getting a recall is not, you don't freak out. It means they want to fix something that could possibly go wrong because they don't want, you know, bad things to happen to your car. Um, however, if you're not the first owner of the car, if you're like, usually you, you get contacted about a recall. It doesn't always happen. There's slips in the system. Things don't always go through. Transport Canada has a list, but should people be checking in with their dealership, um, especially if they are not the original owner, what is a consumer's, what, what are they required to do when it comes to recalls? And is there an easy way for them to make sure there are no outstanding recalls, especially on a car they're about to buy? Yeah. So there's, there's a few things that you can do. Um, first and foremost, call that manufacturer, especially if you've just bought the car secondhand, and tell them that you're the new owner. They will register you as the new owner. They will register your address, and they will send you information on the car, recalls, 
um, and anything else that, that is, is prudent to the cards. It, I don't think in, in all my time I've really seen, you know, uh, Ford start sending out unnecessary sales brochures. They just send you the little envelope that says, hey, your car is due in for a, a recall and that's about it. So you're not going to get spammed out of existence, but at least they'll know where to send those recall notices. You can also look at Transport Canada. That's a great resource. You know, type in your, your make and model in the internets and see if there's any available recalls on it. One thing to keep in mind, and I've seen it argued over and over and over again with customers, is the recalls apply to specific vehicles. Let's say, for instance, you've got a lifter recall on an F-150. Well, it's going to be for a specific engine in that truck. So even though you have the same year and the same transmission and they're both four by four, if you don't have this specific engine between these specific manufacturing codes, that recall doesn't apply. And there's nothing the dealer is going to do to put these new updated parts into an engine that's already got the new updated parts, non-faulty parts, right? So, so you should just be glad that yours was, isn't within that and carry on. Like, Yeah, you know. absolutely. Sometimes customers get quite passionate and, and think that we should be doing that recall regardless. And if it doesn't apply, it doesn't fix anything. Let's talk a little bit about warranties. I tell people not to buy third-party warranties. Third parties aren't happy with me. But because warranties... I don't know. When I started in this business almost 20 years ago, I would not buy an extended warranty. I still won't buy one on anything, probably because I'm cheap. However, I'm starting to understand that the level of electronics, again, the computer systems and stuff, it's not always a bad choice to extend the warranty. And I tell people to ask what it doesn't cover. Yeah. And to make this decision not in the F&O office, like not in the finance office, make this decision at home on your own with all the information you need. But third-party warranties, they're half the time they're gone by the time you need them. It's crazy. Oh, they're, they're horrible. So aftermarket warranties, I've, I've, I think I've only ever had luck with one of them. Uh, and it was because I worked at the dealership that sold that warranty and it was easy for us to weasel our way through. But outside of that dealership, it was hard to get that warranty honored. They say that they work at, you know, multiple stores across multiple brands. Well, that's fine. Maybe in Toronto, they're, they're all at the Kia store. And then you're on your trip, you have a breakdown. And the only spot that honors that warranty is a Ford store. They don't know your Kia. They don't want to work on that warranty. They don't want to work with that brand. Instead of going to aftermarket warranties where they, the coverage can be dodgy, uh, the, the serviceability can be dodgy, absolutely go with the manufacturer's warranty and if you're buying from a dealership even secondhand you can buy those manufacturer warranties for really impressive durations of time and mileage um this week last week i was sitting in the ford dealer and i went into the office i was all ready to buy that extended warranty from ford i spent and they're not cheap i think i spent five or six thousand dollars on top of the price of the truck and I went, yep, give me the warranty. I want seven years. I want 200,000 kilometers because if something breaks, I will get that money back really fast. Okay. A lot of people believe, in, and this is pretty common, and I thought the same thing too for a long time. They buy a car at this beautiful bricks and mortar car dealership, and they believe their warranty is with the dealership. Their warranty is with the manufacturer, and these are two separate entities, and I can you can see how it's confusing because this is a Ford dealership or a Hyundai dealership, but the manufacturer is who's warrantying that, not the dealer. So sometimes there's some sticky stuff in between 
what a dealer may be telling you. We're seeing this with um, EV batteries was the most recent one because the, you know, the dealer is the front for the manufacturer, but how, how do we get them to separate that? And does it mean that you should escalate a problem to the manufacturer immediately if your dealer is not making you happy or are some people unreasonable? Well, yes, to all of those. Um, if the dealership is unwilling to play ball, some there's a whole bunch of politics that go into that and there shouldn't be, but there is. So first and foremost, if you're outside of warranty and just, if you've serviced with a dealer for a long period of time, they have a, a group of funds supplied by the manufacturer called Goodwill. And sometimes they'll cover half the cost of a repair, the entire repair, uh, a ratio of the repair, whatever it might be. But they tend to save that bushel of money for the people who have been in over and over and over for oil changes, tire rotations, wallet flushes, all that kind of good stuff. Um, whether the services be legitimate or not, but kind of their diehard customers. If you come in just randomly off the street with a concern, legitimate or not, and you all of a sudden go to the dealer, hey, I just fell out of warranty. You've never seen me before in your entire life. The chances of that dealer emptying the goodwill pocket is pretty slim. At that point, uh, if there's been a major defect with the car and you're going to have to pay a lot out of pocket, that's when you really want to phone that manufacturer and see what you can do there. If the dealer is saying no, 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 call the manufacturer. See if the manufacturer will step up to the plate. Um, you, we saw that thing a couple weeks ago with the EV battery and Hyundai was never contacted and they were very upset that they weren't, right? They wanted to step up to the plate. They wanted to help out that customer and they were never uh, given that opportunity. So sometimes even at a dealer level, they forget to phone the manufacturer and say, hey, we've seen this problem. What are we doing? And when you talk about sometimes people <laughs> with the sequentially ordered oil change numbers, when you walk in there, there's no reference point for them. I can understand why dealers, like you said, they have a pocket of goodwill and you know, it's it's going to go to their best customers. I kind of understand that. I'm Lorraine Sommerfeld here today with Chris Muir. We'll be right back after this break with more on The Driving Podcast. We're back with The Driving Podcast. I'm your host, Lorraine Sommerfeld, with my guest today, Chris Muir. Chris, we're going to play a bit of good, bad, and the ugly here. I've seen and worked with and continue to work with some really great dealers. I've also got an inbox full of horror stories. It's information for I want to arm consumers for. Give them info to recognize when something's not going the way it should. Chris, give me three things you wish would be against the law for a dealer to do. Oh, man. So the first thing should be uh, selling junk services to consumers. I mean, just really taking them for a ride. And it's not every dealer uh, by any means, but there is some that are just notorious for selling the, the unnecessary crap and charging a premium for it. You know, things like um, in-tank injector flushes for over $100 to put a $2 bottle of goo in the tank uh, that isn't good for the vehicle, that kind of stuff. Uh, next up is not being transparent enough with the consumer. If a technician calls brakes, there better be photos, there better be measurements. Uh, what I do with my own customers is I will send them uh, texts or Facebook uh, messages with pictures of the parts, with the play in the part, with, hey, this doesn't work because of. And the last thing is for the technician, I would really like to see it illegal for the manufacturer to not pay the technician enough to do proper diagnosis. 
a lot of the parts replacers that you see coming from the industry have not been paid enough to learn how to properly diagnose a car. And the diagnosis is what makes the repair affordable. On that last point, we're seeing a lot of upheaval and changes in the industry. The, the push over to hybrids and EVs, we're also seeing a lot of techs aging out. I think there's going to be a mass exodus. Are we ready for this? I, you work at a school, you teach kids, you set programming. Is there a lot of catch up that's going to have to take place? There's a ton of catch up. So uh, I actually teach in continuing education as of this year, and I'm teaching fleets how to safely handle uh, electric vehicles, right? Um, disable, walk around the new safety equipment, new test equipment, uh, how to use this stuff. And our second half of the program is uh, set to kick off in February, where we start talking about supporting systems and inverters and all of this new technology to drive cars forward that we never had 20 years ago. Um, there's a lot of people that are very afraid of it. Uh, there's a lot of people who just don't want to learn it. I had a student this week go, well, thank goodness I'm going to retire before this really hits the entire market. And he's aftermarket fleet. So he does have that, that buffering uh, period. As far as manufacturer dealers, I think most manufacturers have pretty good training programs in place. Um, their requirements as far as the individual safety very wildly it's a bit wild westy out there as far as you know how you work on them what you use for safety um and they're still trying this flat rate garbage with these advanced systems that people have to slow down and take time to diagnose uh anybody who's you know kind of backburnered the the flat rate system for the time being or improved it kudos to them but uh trying to rush through one of these uh 400 volt systems is going to hurt somebody so are we ready? I don't think we are fully. Okay. I, I want to ask, sometimes when you go to the back, when you're at the, f <laughs> no, I'm going to leave that question for a second. When you go to the back and you're talking to your sales advisor or your shop advisor, sorry, mm -hmm. and they're laying things out for you and I have questions. And sometimes I think the questions are stupid because this is not my forte. And if I say to them, well, can I see the parts? Because a lot of places now have iPads and they're showing you just what you said a few minutes ago about taking photos. It's the easiest thing to do, taking photos of what's wrong to show somebody and explain it. I like transparency. I like openness. I like advisors that are willing to answer my dumb questions, frankly, no matter how dumb they get. But the same way when people go in a restaurant, if they send their food back and there's the old wives to, oh, they're going to spit in it. Well, professionals are not doing that. But can you irk the people at the back by asking too many questions? Like, is it okay? How far can you go and still feel confident that you're not going to end up on some blacklist with your dealer? You should be able to ask as many questions as you, you rightfully want to. Um, and those questions should be answered you know, honestly, you should be able to see parts that have been taken off the car. If they were taken off the car for warranty purposes, you cannot retain those parts because you didn't pay for the repair. It's the manufacturer that paid for the repair and they want those parts back. But certainly you can see them. Um, most of the time, most places that I've worked, the advisor will take the customer back into the shop. You stop working uh, for a few moments. The advisor will show them things on the car and then take the, the customer back out of the shop. Um, you shouldn't be able to irk the advisor unless you are completely rude, condescending, you know, unless you are basically looking for an altercation. Uh, as far as the technician goes, 
I've seen I've seen a lot in my day. I've seen tempers flare. I've seen mechanics get disappointed, but they don't spit in the food uh, because if that car has an incident after the technicians touched it, they're liable for that incident. So no, sabotage isn't something we generally do. Even in the worst shops, I haven't seen sabotage uh, or any that is, you know, uh, terrible. Um, I guess any sabotage would be terrible. I really haven't seen any. Okay, so politely ask until you understand. Yeah, absolutely. You should be able to understand the repair in, in progress. If, if you use your manners and somebody there can explain it to you, absolutely. Yeah, and, and ask until you understand. The problem I was just booting down the road a little bit is this one. When you go in and buy a new car, the sales rep is your best friend. Mm-hmm. The sales manager can be very, very welcoming, and you spend a significant amount of time um, on the final the final go round, it's hours that you're in there. Yeah. And you're like, this is amazing. I got it. You go to pick your car up. They do a walk around. They might have a clinic a few weeks later to help you hook up the Bluetooth. I've gone back three or four times to hook up the Bluetooth in the early days. Like that's how stupid I am. And they're great. But then when you go in for your first service change, all those people at the front don't know who you are. It is another planet. So the front of the house and the back of the house, there is no connection for the consumer because you're treated one way and they love you. And then as soon as the sale is made, it feels like you're done unless you're buying another car. And then you're there's a feeling of abandonment almost because you know they've been making you coffee and being really nice. And yes, they make you coffee at the back, but you come in, you don't even see. And if your salesman or sales rep runs by, they don't even say hi to you because they don't remember you. <laughs> it's been months. Yeah. Do you believe, like I do, that dealers have to bridge that fake friendship thing somehow? <laughs> like consumers? Yeah. So I'm, I'm working with, with a, a dealer right now, and uh, we're talking about changing some some processes in the dealer. And it's exactly that is they sell a car, and the cars are not cheap, right? Like fifty to $100,000 is not uncommon. Um, and you get that friendly, you know, pat on the back. Hey, you bought a car, high five. We're with you. And as soon as the bumper passes the curb, you're like, no, you're on your own. Good luck. The reason that feeling exists, dealerships are run like three independent businesses under one roof. There's a parts department, a service department, and a sales department. And those three don't share finances. They don't share people. And a lot of the time, if the dealer is not prioritizing the customer experiences, those three departments can shift apart and just make the customer feel so unimportant, it, it's painful. Um, what we are trying to do is start bringing the people from the front to the back. Meet the service team. Meet the advisor that you're going to deal with while you're there. Start building that relationship during the sales process. So the next time you come in, you already know, hey, I'm going to go talk to Dan because I was introduced to Dan. Dan's going to help me out because he's a nice guy. He smiles. He's friendly. He's going to listen to my problem. And then all of a sudden you get that that feeling of support back. And more places need to do that, need to bridge that relationship between sales and service. The customer comes in for their first service appointment, not knowing anybody. They're terrified. Like you said, the salesman's not on that day. They don't remember them. Uh, It's been three months plus, right? Like you have to think as a person, do you remember someone from six months ago, really, that you spent the day with? Really? Probably? Maybe? I don't if know. I paid them $100,000. You better believe I do. Uh, listen, you didn't <laughs> pay me. You paid the dealer. I only got a little kick of it, right? Uh, 
you're right. You should be remembered. But hey, maybe you got a new haircut. Maybe the, the <laughs> salesman's busy that day, and you don't get the acknowledgement that that you should absolutely should. But if you've already familiarized yourself with the service department, if that car care clinic involved the service advisors and the technicians that you're going to work with for the next five to ten years of car ownership, well, all of a sudden, you know, you feel a lot better making that transition. Not all places do that. Most places don't. You buy the car, you go to the back of the house, and you're now a stranger to them, right? Oh, who are you? What, did you even buy it here? And then you see the <laughs> frantic tapping of the keyboard. Oh, you did buy it here. Okay. And I'm, I'm giving that 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 uh, sarcastic tone because, man, I've seen it lots. Did you buy it here? Yeah. Well, it doesn't matter if I bought it here. Your service department for the manufacturer just serves the damn car. Like, Right. Maybe I'll spend hundreds of thousands on service instead of just buying the car with you. Maybe my buddy sells a car down the street, that kind of thing. But so yeah, I if you're trading in house, there is a big disconnect. There's, there's no argument. I, I tell um, people they've had they go the dealer wants me to come back in a couple of weeks and go over the car and I don't have time. I go, yeah, you have time. You have all the time for that. Cars are really complicated. There's so many systems in them. It'll take you forever to figure it out. I used to let my kids do it because they were you know, into the computer stuff a lot more than I was. And now a, a manual, I have the, the manual from my father's 66 Rambler, and I think it's 35 pages. Yeah. And now manuals are like four inches thick because so, there's so much in them. So I really wish dealers would do more of that outreach after mm-hmm. the sale. And I wish consumers would respond and take the time to go back, you know, with a list of questions. Because in the moment when you pick up your car, you're all excited. It's like, I want to go drive it. Yeah. And, you know, so I I think you're right. Both sides. I want. I would love to see dealers do more of that and have that's a service rep there to help. It, it's hand-holding. But we're talking about such expensive acquisitions that a little hand-holding is going to go a long way. And I would like to see people take advantage of it. Something else that, that, that we like to do or that I've, I've done in the past is um, you mentioned it real quick, uh, car care clinics, and it is like a second delivery. Uh, it's even better if we can get in customers that have bought specific models and do kind of a highlight night, if you will, right? Here's where your washer fluid is. This is how you check the oil. This is what the underside of your brand new car looks like. All that kind of stuff kind of builds a rapport as well. And you don't have the salesman go over it. You have somebody from the back office for a tech and an advisor and the service manager. And they're all there to kind of welcome you into that dealership life. That's that's how it should be, yeah. in my opinion. Well, and I know people are saying, Lorraine, you're best case scenario in this and you're being an idiot. Except vehicle prices are going up astronomically all the time. And I don't care who you are. 60, 70, $80,000 for a car, and you, sometimes loans are eight, nine, 10 years long. People really need and are owed more responsibility for the people that put those vehicles into their hands. I think if they want the information, they should be able to get it easily and not be disparaged. And a lot of people feel disparaged. So that's when I get cranky. If I buy a beater off someone, you know, in a used car lot for 5,000 bucks, okay. You know, it's yeah. not coming with a party pack. But if I drop 75000 which I would never do, on a car, there should be more to this. Um, well, now you've made me feel guilty. But anyways, I, uh, <laughs> no. uh, something else that I wanted to highlight, uh, you were saying the four-inch thick manual in the glove box. It's not there anymore. There's a link. You can go look at your owner's manual online. So you could scroll your owner's manual on your iPhone if you get the link. 
but who's going to open up a service man or an owner's manual on their computer at home and study it? It's not like you can sit in your car while you're waiting for the kids to get out of hockey and just yeah. kind of flip through the manual now. It's all online, unfortunately. Oh, it's usually when you get stuck somewhere and you pull it out and you're trying to figure out what the idiot light is telling you. Ask me how I know this driving through Barry in heavy traffic last year. Yeah. Okay, we've talked a little bit about bad consumer behavior. What shouldn't consumers do? We've said what we would prefer dealers didn't do, but what what are a couple things that consumers are on the wrong foot if they go in doing? So I, I usually find it's either uh, the consumers will come in uh, ready for, for a fight. They think that the people behind the desk want them, you know, are, are actually trying to take advantage of them. And the most of the people in the auto industry aren't trying to take advantage of you. It is truly a case of a few bad apples, okay? Um, so come on in, treat the person behind the counter with a little bit of respect. They'll treat you with a lot of respect, and, and hopefully that really kicks off your uh, relationship. If somebody says that uh, service bulletin doesn't apply, we can't implement a service bulletin uh, without the car showing a symptom, that is from the manufacturer. That's not something that the, the service department's trying to do to really kind of kneecap you. Sometimes things don't apply, and the internet is a great resource for information, but sometimes that information is wrong, and the advice that you get isn't the best. Um, and don't try and scam the service department. We have seen quite a bit of, of this, that, and the other. Uh, you know, everything from, oh, the clutch is faulty. We pull apart the transmission and the things as blue as can be, you know, you've been riding the clutch pedal. We can see that in the part, right? Oh, this car has a bad alignment. The tires are bald. Well, strangely, it's only the rear tires. And when we ask you if Timmy, that's 17, has been driving the car, you say yes, but he's a good boy. No, he's not. He is not <laughs> a good boy. He's been doing donuts all over the place. We can read the parts of the car and figure out the failure. That's what good mechanics do. Um, so, so not lying can save some time. <laughs> not lying can save some time and definitely aggravation on both sides. We can see it. Own the the truth. Own up to what you did. A lot of the time, we're going to go. Yeah, okay, that's hilarious. Here's you know a discount on tires, or uh, we'll make that part go away. That kind of thing uh, at a dealer level can certainly happen. Um, but I mean. We're people too. We're going to screw up. We're going to fail. We're not going to fix it right the first time. There's going to be a complex system that screws up somehow. Give them a second chance. I don't mean repeated chances. I don't mean if they're rude to you. I don't mean if they're dismissive. But if something fails, give them a second chance. These are silly, silly complex cars. We've got technicians that are struggling to catch up. We are dealing with more electronics than we've ever seen. There's not a single system I can think of on the car that doesn't have some type of sensor or electronic control anymore. Um, you know, wires have loose contacts, loose pins, a uh, little bit of corrosion in the middle of them, and they could be a bear to find. Uh, half of our hybrid training is, hey, you have to turn this on in order to get this symptom to reoccur. If you get it at this temperature during this time of day, that's not going to happen. You have to wait until it's cold outside for the battery heater to come on, stuff like that, right? Yeah. Where the tech, where the customer brings it in, the warning light's on, here's the code. The technician goes to test it during the warm part of the day, and there's no battery heater, there's no code, there's no nothing. So work with your dealer um, to a point. When they become dismissive, hey, 
you know what? You can look for a second opinion. You can take it to your local mechanic. You can um, talk to another dealer. Do some research on the internet and see what dealers get glowing reviews for their service. Um, some are unfortunately better than others. Some have better leadership. Some have better technicians. Um, it's it's sadly one of those things where research is king, but we've got the internet everywhere and it helps us with that research. Okay. I want the last question. I want to look ahead. Um, there's a lot of challenges that dealerships are facing in the future. The auto sector in Canada is huge. 613 employees at last count. Dealers comprise 155,000 of those employees. Mm-hmm. Tesla famously burst on the scene. No bricks and mortar. You know, they're going their own route. A lot of people talking about, good, let's get rid of dealers. You know, why do we need them anyway? Everything is add to cart and it shows up. And some of the resale places are doing that. We've talked about the challenges um, in the workforce going ahead, which, you know, I understand different levels of government are also working uh, to get that sorted out. What do dealers have to do to remain relevant to consumers? If I could ask you for two things, what are two things consumer or dealers could do right now to kind of secure their place with de- with consumers? So the, the real thing that the dealer needs to do is become an advocate for the consumer and provide the best shopping experience they possibly can. I don't know about you, but if I go into a store and I, uh, I receive outstanding service from whoever's there, I'm going to be willing to pay a little bit more for the product. I'm going to recommend that to my friends versus add to cart on Amazon. Great. I added it to the cart. Um, but there was no interaction. There was no, you know, hey, I feel like a valued consumer. It was just, all right, cool. I added peanut butter to the cart versus talking to the cashier about, you know, their day and my day and all of that, that social interaction. So that's a big part of it. And starting that relationship uh, with the customer. If you can start a relationship with a customer and it has to be stellar for them to recommend you to somebody else. Think about it. If you've had a terrible experience, you're going to tell everybody. If you've had a good experience, you're going to tell one or two people. If you've had a stellar experience, you might tell three or four people. It's it's harder to earn customers through good experiences, so they have to be knockout experiences that you can't get anywhere else. So that's where the dealership really needs to step up. And that might be get rid of the aftermarket warranties on the wall. Take down that menu board that doesn't adhere to the owner's manual. Um, cars require less and less maintenance. Make sure the customer feels that they get less and less maintenance. Um, they'll come back to you for the major maintenance that it needs. So that's that's kind of where the dealers can, can uh, step up. Where the delivery of the vehicle doesn't show, so if you order a Tesla online, you still have to go to a delivery center. If you order a Hyundai on Amazon, which apparently you're going to be able to do next year, you still have to go to an assigned dealer to take delivery of the car. You're still going to sit in an F&I office. You're still going to go through all of the regular steps. You just pick the color in the interior online. The problem with it, and we saw it way back when the Beetle first came out, people would buy the car and not realize it was the car that they were getting. They'd show up to the dealership. It's the right color. It's the right car. And they hate how it drives and they don't fit in the seat. So that is is the downside of pressing send on one of these uh, mm-hmm. cars. You don't know what you just bought. So that would be the other retention of that sales department is the ability to test out one of these vehicles before you, you pull the trigger on it. So more transparency, more honesty, 
and moving into the future of cars because consumers are already there waiting for you. So catch yeah. up. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. That's it for this edition of the Driving Podcast. A huge thanks to my guest, Chris Muir. You can subscribe to our podcast through iTunes, Spotify, or your favorite podcast player. Be sure to check out previous episodes of the Driving Podcast. I'm Lorraine Sommerfeld. We'll see you next time. Bye.